Would you turn over in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? We're going to be over in chapter 19. There's a story I told from a man out in Oklahoma. He says, Overcoming locked gates, tall fences, and snapping dogs presents a challenge for us meter readers in rural Oklahoma. Now, I know what rural Oklahoma is. Most of you may not. But I actually was out there, and it is rural. <laughs> my, oh my. When we were all required, we were all required to read all meters. No estimates were allowed. One time, a co-worker succeeded in getting past a particularly vicious watchdog who was tied to a chain that was long enough to give him sway over the entire backyard and driveway. Later, the man was questioned by his superior. How were you able to get past that watchdog? That the customer is curious. And the meter reader replied, That was easy, boss. I parked on his chain. <laughs> you know, there are some ways we can get by some things. There are some ways that we can get past some of the obstacles, past some of the things that are, are in front of us and move on. We have one more week here to do on our series on hope before we move on to something new. As we said before, hope is always future. Well, what do you do when our past keeps getting in the way? How many of you have a past that gets in your way of your Christian walk sometimes? How many have a past that sometimes gets in the way of your faith, what you're able to believe God for? Don't we all have some past failures, some faith failures, some things we believe God for and didn't come about, or just some things we think we let God down on? And they sometimes come up and get in our way and bother us. And we have to get past our past at times. We're going to look at some people who did this because as we look towards the future and the things that our hope has, we have to make sure that our past does not hold us back. Paul used to talk about anchors in his writings, that there are some things that can anchor us down, some things that can hold us back. We've got to make sure that what is in our past, what we have done, either good or bad, what failures we may have had, will not hold us back, but we keep on going to where God has has for us. Give you some examples of this. Some of these we've already looked at in this series, but Abraham let his past bother him because of the promise. How many of y'all know that every time that God came and talked to him about the promise, would he keep going over? His past. I don't have any kids. I haven't had any kids. I'm getting older. There's no kids around. His, his past was a problem. How many of y'all can see that? When he had Sarah and they were going down to Egypt, and he said, we need to say that you're just my sister because they'll kill me because of you. There are some things in his past that led him to believe that. And he had a hard time getting past it. We see Moses. He let his, his past bother him initially. When the Lord appeared to him at the bush, what did he talk to the Lord about? His past. I tried that. didn't work. They won't accept me. They want to kill me. All these sort of things. So when the Lord, the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush and he's bringing up his past. Telling the Lord, well, you forgot where I came from, what I did. When the first plague's results were bad, did he look to his past? Well, I failed before. Looks like I'm going to fail again. And he was bothered by that. But that was the last time that he seemed to be bothered by his past because he got, he got over it real fast. And he moved on. David, he didn't let his past bother him with his family. We talked over the things that went on with David's family, how David's family put him down, didn't believe him, didn't look highly upon him. But he didn't let that hold him back. 
We didn't, we didn't see him let it bother him as far as the promise was concerned. He didn't, one time as far as we can tell, he didn't let come out of his mouth, I'm insignificant, no one thinks I'm anybody, how can I be king of Israel? He doesn't let that come out. So he didn't let his past bother him. Paul didn't let his past bother him, but boy, Paul was a guy who could have. Paul had gone around murdering Christians, had uh, secured letters to go out there and to do so. He persecuted the Christians. He made it tough for them to spread the gospel. And when the leaders in Jerusalem found out he was converted, they didn't believe him. They thought it was a trap. And they all tried to gather around and kill him, and he had to be let down through a window. He didn't let his past bother him with those who would mess with the cities he would go into. Because every time he would go into a city and he'd preach to them the gospel, they would come back. These, these, uh, they were called Judaizers. And they would come back into the cities he just got done preaching in and they would mess them up. Galatians got real messed up and Paul had to write to them and talk to them about how quickly they left the gospel. For one that's not another, not a, not a same kind of gospel. It was a whole different thing. But here we're going to take a look at one in particular. This is found over in Genesis, the 19th chapter. But first we're going to go back to the chapter 13 and take a look at some of the history of Lot. In chapter 13, verse 1, Then Abram went from Egypt, went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the south. Now, of course, he's called Abram here because his name hadn't been changed yet. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where he, his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with him had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they may dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So get this picture. Abraham is rich. We know that. He had lots of possessions. But so has Lot. Lot has accompanied Abraham and he has gotten rich and has been blessed and has prospered just as much as Abraham has. Verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, of course, we can tell what the strife was about. They find a, a patch of grass and Lot's folks may... may uh, bring their livestock over there and try and get them to eat. And then Abram's guys come on over and try and get on the same spot. Oh, no, we found it first. We found this water first. We found this grass first. No, 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 there's enough of it. We're going to go over here. So there was strife that came up between them. Now it says the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they dwell in the land. So Abram said a lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So he gives him first choice. And so it says in verse 10, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So this is how Lot and Abraham came to part ways, and Lot went into his own direction. He saw the watered 
areas of the valleys and he saw the green and he was attracted to that because, of course, he had livestock and the whole problem here is we're not having enough stuff for them to eat. So I'll take it over here where all this green stuff is. If you read on to the rest of the chapter, you find out that God ministers to him. He says, you look, you look every which way. You look up, you look back, you look to the left, you look to the right. Everything that you see is yours. That meant where Lot went as well. He said, it's all yours. I've given it to you. Now in chapter 14, Lot was taken captive. Apparently all his stuff was taken captive too. But Abram went up there with his uh, servants. Quite a story that was. And conquered all five kings and brought all the stuff back. And brought Lot back. And so then Lot continued on with his, his way of life. And where he was at. But we see that in chapter 13 it says that he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Well, we're going to come upon him in the, in the section of Scripture that we wanted to take a look at. Lot is living in the city of Sodom over in chapter 19. In chapter 18, Abraham is met with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just a New Testament figure, as we know. Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. Every time that you see the angel of the Lord, it is Jesus. He just didn't have that name then. He got the name Jesus when he was born to Mary and Joseph. And he said, you shall call his name Jesus. And that's how he picked up the name Jesus. Jesus was a common name then, but he took that name and he made it into something powerful. And he was the Lord Jesus Christ. But back then he was the angel of the Lord. That's how they knew him. They had seen him. He was the visible God. And so he comes and he appears to Abram and he has two angels that are with him. So that Abram says that there are three angels that come and they see him. And so he goes and he makes the meal for them and all that. And as they're getting ready to leave, and they went through all the promise, and they made the promise again with him. But as they're getting ready to leave, the Lord Jesus says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that he will become a great man. And so he divulges the plan of God. He said, I have actually come down and I stopped here on my way to minister to your faith. I'm, not, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but to minister to your faith and get you ready to have this baby. But I've, I'm kind of here passing on through to on my way to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because I want to see if the sin is as bad as it has come to me. And so, he says, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham knows that Lot lives in that area. And so he says to the Lord, if you find 50 righteous, will you destroy the city? And so the Lord concedes and he says, all right, tell you what, if I find 50 righteous there, I will not destroy the city for their sake. So Abraham just, you know, not quite sure if we have all that. So he bartles on down, you know, 40 and 30 and 20 and 10 and gets all the way on down. If there's 10 righteous there, will you destroy the city? And he says, all right, I'll tell you what, if I find 10 righteous people in that area, in the city, I will not destroy the city. So Abraham feels pretty confident in this. Maybe he doesn't want to push it anymore. He figures there's got to be at least 10 people in the city that are righteous. How many of you would think in a city like Sodom and Gomorrah, either, either of those cities, I guess you would find at least 10 righteous people. Now he knew Lot was there. He knew Lot's wife was there. He knew they had two daughters and that they had two husbands. I think he's at least counting on those folks. Because that would be two, four, and that would be six. So all we really need is four more. Surely in a city that size, there are four people who would serve the Lord. 
So Abraham took it down that far. If he'd gone down to five, maybe that would have spared the city, but he didn't go down to five. He stopped at ten. And we don't fault Abraham for that. Uh, I think that's pretty good. God had a purpose. He came on down to destroy the cities because of the sin that, that was in there. And Abraham got them all the way on down to say, if there's ten people, ten righteous people in there, you'll spare the whole city. He says, I'll spare the whole city for the ten. Now we pick it up at chapter 19. How many angels went to visit Abraham? Three. Two angels and the angel of the Lord. Verse 1. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. What two angels? The angels that accompanied the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, did not, was not here in this group. It was the two angels that were with Him. We don't know who these two angels were. But the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, Lot is still a righteous man, but he's hanging around people that are not righteous. And the Word of God has something to say about that, doesn't it? I even wrote that scripture, put it right in your outline so that you would have it. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If you get around evil people, they will corrupt you. And this works with just about anything. I've known people that grew up believing God, having faith in God, believing that Jesus was their healer, believing in, in that faith in the name of Jesus would overcome all things. But then they got to hanging around people who didn't believe that way. And it didn't take long for them to stop believing that way too. Pretty soon, you know, one doctor began to work its way in. Well, sometimes Jesus wants me sick. Well, sometimes it's the will of God that these things happen. And little by little, it begins to be worn away until pretty soon they're not believing in God at all. But it works the same way too with evil. You get around evil company, they can corrupt you. Now, that doesn't mean that you separate yourself from all worldly people. But you all know that there's different levels of fellowship that we have. There's those people that we bring in close and there's those people that we just know. You know, there's some people in my life, I just know them. I don't have a whole lot of interaction with them. I just know them. Some of the folks that I play hockey with, I just know them. But, you know, they hang out with, those, with some of those guys on a regular basis. If I got comfortable with that, if I would have to be backslidden. Because I'll tell you what, they're unrighteous as can be. Not following after God at all. Language they use, things they talk about. Now, they curtail some of that when they're around me and Lar, but not entirely. Lot was around folks like this. But eventually, he got comfortable with them. Now, he still held on to some of his righteous parts about him. He still held on to the Lord, worshiped God but not quite, quite to the degree that he did before. You know, he probably got to the place, well, there's no real good church around here. I just I, I won't go to church. Well, there's no good synagogue. I just, I just won't, I won't go. And just little by little, things begin to fall off that he may have done before. He's not doing so much now. He may have even stopped making some of the sacrifices that he was making before. We don't know what all went on, but we know that Lot wasn't quite the guy that he was before. But he sees the angels coming and he says, uh-huh, I, I recognize them as something. And so he leaps to them. But he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. 
Now, this is the big, this is the place where a lot of people gathered and a lot of people sat. So if you sat in the gate, you had other people sitting there with you and they're over there, you know, talking about the Phillies. Now, did you see that hit by Ryan Howard last night? Oh, I sure did. Boy, that was something, right? They're sitting there talking about the Phillies. You know, maybe if they had ice hockey, they'd be talking about the Flyers. I don't think they had ice hockey then. Probably didn't have baseball, I know either. Probably talking about the newest uh, type of car that came out. You know, did you see that new Ford? Hmm. Boy, that is pretty looking. Yeah, what kind of stuff do you talk about at the gate? Well, you know, they had current stuff that they talked about. They're all sitting around the gate chatting about things. I'm sure they weren't talking about the Lord because apparently they weren't able to find ten righteous people. They were going to still go on with the judgment of the place. So Lot's not sitting with righteous people. They're talking about unrighteous things and Lot's sitting there in the gate talking with them. He didn't sit in the gate waiting for the angels to show up. I don't think he's expecting them. Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now this is part of his culture that he grew up with, was to be very hospitable. This is part of the culture. And this has, of course, been passed down to the Jewish folks and many other Oriental societies, that they were very hospitable. And they, they looked at guests and visitors as someone that you really need to put it, put uh, uh, your best foot forward for and you need to protect them and to help them. So these folks are going to spend the night in the open square and Lot probably says, I know this city. That's not a good place to spend the night. How many of y'all know that there's some places around Philadelphia that you maybe you wouldn't want to spend the night there? Yeah. We had Brother Philip out here before. He was always teasing me. Because when I brought him home, I was looking for a particular place to take him to eat. And he were going on down there and he says, Man, this is the hood. <laughs> In the way that, that our brother likes to, to say that. So you remember him talking about those, those kind of things. And Well, maybe there's some places in Philadelphia. Maybe there are those cities you may have come from that you wouldn't spend the time in. Lot says, This is not a good city. You do not want to spend time in the open square. Verse 4, Now before they lay down, the men of the city and the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called the lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. In other words, these are homosexuals. These are homosexuals that are not just content to be homosexuals themselves, but they must impose this lifestyle upon others. This is the same culture we see now. This is the same culture that brought Rome down. Understand, it's not just that folks have decided to go into a different sexual orientation. Now, I got mad at the Phillies for a while. I don't know if they've done it in, in recent times, but boy, I sure got angry at them. They had a homosexual day. I, do we have a heterosexual day at the Phillies? Do we? <laughs> they had a homosexual day. And then, you know, people were encouraged to come on out and bring their homosexual partner and if you looked at the TV shows, I, I don't see all the TV shows. I just hear the reports of them, of, of uh, some of the Christian organizations I'm part of. They gave the percentage of homosexual characters on TV. And it far outdid the percentage of homosexual people in America. Now, the church has never gone out and said all homosexuals must die. 
all homosexuals must go, all homosexuals must change their ways or this country is going to hell. None of them have ever said that. But what you'll notice is that the folks who believe in a homosexual lifestyle want to impose this upon everyone. Our president put in place for the person who the safe schools are an individual who promoted homosexuality, promoted homosexual books in schools, and also when a student came to him when he worked in the school and, taught, and, and told him about a homosexual relationship he was having with a teacher, this person who is now the, the uh, chief, the one who oversees all the safe school stuff, this one gave him counsel as to how he can carry on this homosexual relationship with a teacher and not be discovered. We're in a society where this is... This is they're, they're not just content to be homosexual. They have to impose this upon everyone. And so now you have to watch the, the books that your kids are being subject to read because they want them to read the ones with, you know, Johnny has two daddies. Susie has two mommies. They want to impose that this is a normal lifestyle, that it's a choice and so forth and, and things like that. You don't let it go on. You make sure that you, you let them know. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I'm not saying that you all have to change your ways. If you want to go away and, and disobey God and go in this direction, that's your choice. That's the thing you can go out there and do. But don't impose this choice on everyone else. That's not right. But that's what they want to do. Every society before they were brought down, was brought down and they had a militant homosexual group. Rome was one of them. Abortion in all these places was rampant. The people who promote abortion are not just content that abortion is legal. They want it done. They want to see it executed. They want to see babies die. I have no idea what kind of good thing gets into a person's head. In that way, but if you try and come out and, and try and promote, you know, go ahead and have the baby, go ahead and and uh, and and uh, you know, be a single mom, or or we'll help you get through that, or put the baby up for adoption. Oh, you are the book will be thrown at you for that. No, they they want to promote it because it's part of what will bring down societies and has brought down societies. In this particular place here, we don't know what their stance was on abortion. That part isn't brought up. I'm sure that they probably had a lot of that going on. But homosexuality, the entire city, old and young, all came around and said, those young, those uh, men, those newcomers that came in, we want them. We want to know them carnally. We want to have a homosexual relationship with them. We don't care what their will is about it. We want to do this. And they all gathered around to do it. Because they were in the gate, and Lot went to meet them, and they all heard, who was at the gate, all heard Lot say, you're going to come over to my house. So they all knew where he was, and so they all went from there and said, we got newcomers in here. We need to go over there and, and do something. And so this is what they were going to do. Now, in the days to come, you will see the attitude progress that if you say anything against homosexuality, you are a hater of homosexuals. Just like if you have anything to say about anyone who is of a different race than you are, you are a hater of that race. doesn't matter that you're just disagreeing on, on a principle on a concept or on a belief. If they're of a different race than you are, then that's how it is. There's a story that didn't even get any attention but happened here in Philadelphia. How many of y'all heard about the uh, uh, the voting thing that went on? That uh, the, the the new uh, Panther or whatever, whatever, 
Black Panther organization that went on, that they actually stood in front of polling places to keep people from going in, intimidated people from getting in and voting during the last presidential election. And this president and his administration has decided not to prosecute them, even though they have ample evidence, videotape evidence, numbers, a number of people, a whole lot of people who would come up and testify, yes, this is one of the ones who did it. This is one of the things that, that had done so. Even though they would come out and, and say very racially motivated speech and speak about murdering people of certain races. They decided that no charges should come to them. Because, and, the, the, and one person who came out quit his job. I heard him, I did not hear about him. I heard him, the one who quit his job over this, come and say, I had to quit my job. Because in order to comply with the subpoena, and the subpoena was that I had to, I had to come and testify, I had to quit my job because I was ordered not to speak. So he quit his job because they've decided that we will not prosecute any crime if it is done to a white person by a black person. You know what, folks? I don't care who the crime is committed by or to. It should be prosecuted if you have the evidence. If you don't have the evidence, you don't prosecute it. But that's the attitude that was working its way in. And if you said anything about this, you were racist didn't matter if you just didn't believe that justice needed to prevail. It didn't matter that you just believed that people who ought to be able to go and vote if they want to go and vote and not be intimidated or scared from, from being able to show up there. These are the kind of things that are coming in. And you will be accused as a Christian of hating homosexuals, of hating people of different races, of hating people of different religious beliefs. But don't you fear. Jesus has said, don't you fear the world? I've overcome the world. You stand for what the Word of God says. You continue to declare it, and you continue to declare love for all the folks that are out there. Glory to God that we can do that. You know, one of the things I love about this church is we have people from all different races. And you know what? We don't become blind to the fact that we're all different races. We all know we're from different races. We have many different countries that are uh, 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 represented in the church. I think it's great. And you don't have to stop doing the things that are native to your country just because you get with a group of people. I think it's wonderful that people uh, come in and sometimes, you, you know, the, the Jolly and Mercy, sometimes they come in and they dressed up like uh, they would if they were at home. I think it's wonderful. I think it's neat. And if you all want to do that and, and dress up the, the way that you, you were, go right on ahead. We're not here to hide what race we are. And we don't have to hide what race we are to love each other. And we don't have to become different in order to love each other. I don't have to talk different. I can talk like I was brought up to talk. And you can talk like you were brought up to talk. And I can still love you. Glory to God. <laughs> and you don't have to change in order for me to love you. Because that's how great the love of God is. White people can love black people. Black people can love Chinese people. Chinese people can love Indian people. You know, it don't matter. We're all people. And God died for us and loved us. And we're going to keep on going and do, say what the Word of God says and believe what the Word of God says to believe and keep on loving the people who don't follow it. We're going to keep on loving them because God loves them. We're going to love the people who do follow it. We're going to love the people who don't follow it. We're just going to love them. 
Word of God says that by your love, they shall know that you're my disciples. It's by our love. So we just keep on going. You know, some, sometimes we all get together and different folks uh, bring some things out about some, some food. You, and you cook some food that is native to your culture, native to how it was that you grew up. And we all get to try it out. You know, I'll try anything once. I already did try cooked cabbage. You all know that. And I won't try that again. So don't try and, <laughs> don't, don't try and get me on that. I don't know. I, I did it a couple of times. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up on um, uh, the, what's a, uh, Phyllis makes that, that fried whitefish. I don't even know what it's called. The whiting, stuff like that, or whatever that white. Oh, I'll tell you what, we were over her house. She cooked that stuff up. It's like, dear Lord, where was this all my life? Oh, boy, is that good. What is that called? What is that fish called? Is it a particular fish or just whatever is available? Oh, I don't know. But boy, I'll tell you what, it was good. Yeah, give me some more of that stuff. I never had that growing up. So we get exposed to some, some more things. And it's more things for us to like. More things for us to enjoy. God made this world with all kinds of cultures and all kinds of people. And we just love them all. But I told you before this last election, I warned you all, that things were going to happen. And that people were going to do things to try and drive wedges between folks. And that's exactly what's happening. Do not let it happen to you. You stand firm. I will love people. They're trying to get, they try and drive a wedge between the rich and the poor. They try and get the poor to envy the rich. And then we need to take their money. They try and get people, small business owners, to despise big business. They try to get everybody to say, say that big business is the villain. They try and get you all to believe that oil companies are evil and bad. They try constantly to get you to believe and to change your, and, and to hate different ones. Don't give in to it. You know what? I may never be as rich as Bill Gates. I may never be as rich as some of these other folks are out there. doesn't mean I have to hate them. doesn't mean I have to say, well, their money ought to be my money. No, he made his money. Apparently, he had a billion-dollar idea. I didn't. <laughs> That's all there is to that. That's, he, and he got his, his, uh, his part there. I'm not going to envy them. We try and get non-smokers to despise smokers. Drinkers to despise non-drinkers. Bottled water people despising non-bottled water people. And they're actually working on that too. They try to do that. Bikers despising cars. Cars despising pedestrians. They all want to, whatever group they can put you in, they want to get you to hate the other group. Don't do it. Don't give in to it. Don't hate groups of people because they're in a group of people. Even in this country, Republicans can love Democrats and Democrats can love Republicans. Liberals can love conservatives and conservatives can love liberals. Philly fans can love New York fans. Believe it or not. <laughs> we just got to stop meeting these groups. But you go to a, you know, a Philadelphia Eagles game and they've all polarized. They've all become. No matter the rich or poor, we're all Eagles fans. Oh, there's a giant fan. And they begin to to throw stuff at them because they're not in my group. This is not how we are brought up. This is not what the Word of God teaches us to do. But here in this particular city, we see that the homosexuals had the run of the city and pushed this upon people even though they didn't want to go into that kind of lifestyle. You're going to see more of this going on. That people are trying to make uh, push it. You just If your kids are still in school, be on guard that this is trying to happen. And if it does, speak up. 
Let them know. Go into the school. Why are you promoting this book? Why is this going on here? This should not be happening. No, you got to stand up against it. If you don't say anything about it, if you don't stand up against it, it ain't going to change. They're going to keep on going. You got to make sure that you do that. I told you the story before when I was in high school. I think it was my senior year or my junior year. I'm pretty sure it was my senior year. Uh, one of my teachers in, uh, in class tried to teach transcendental meditation. Didn't call it that, called it something else. But TM was, it was it's kind of big in the, in the days when I was in school. And so after they got done teaching this, and they gave me an assignment to everybody to go on home and to practice this, told them how to do it. So I went in the library and looked up all the stuff I could on TM and identified that this is definitely TM and then also found a couple of cases where they were not allowed to do so in school. And before the next day in class, I presented her with all the evidence. I said, here it is. This is what TM is. And here's a case. You're not allowed to teach this in school. What, what gives you the right to think that you can? She argued that she was not teaching TM. Uh, and never admitted that that's what she was doing, but I never heard another word about it for the rest of the class time. It was dropped. You got to speak up about these things. If you speak up, you can get some things changed. But just make sure, don't just, you know, that's just the way things are. No, make sure that they're different. Don't let them keep on going that way. Don't let them classify you as haters. Don't pull, let them pull you into that group of being a hater. Don't do it. Stand up. So all the men of Sodom, Old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. You may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Now, what kind of a perverted man would do that to his daughters? Don't sit there and say, well, he was, what a righteous thing to do. What a nice thing to do to go out there and protect. No! He sold his daughters to the wolves. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men, the men, the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So he says, I have two daughters. And he says that they're virgin daughters. I said, I'll bring them out there to you. And the, and the men say, no. We want the guys that you have in there. That's how depraved they are. And that's how depraved Lot is, that Lot would do this thing. But Lot got hung around these, these folks. Now, remember, we went back all the way to the story in chapter 13 for you to understand this. When Lot separated from Abraham, what was the reason for the separation? He had so much livestock. They all had so much livestock. They couldn't find a place for them all to, to be. But now we find that Lot is in the city. Where do you keep livestock in the city? Now, maybe you say he had a fold outside the city, and maybe he did. But we don't hear about that, and he doesn't get to bring any of this up with him. Whatever he had, he either sold it to buy this place in the city, or maybe he bought a business in the city, or maybe he still had it in some place outside. But we don't hear about all his great riches. We don't hear about his great amount of livestock anymore. But look what they said. 
This one came, verse 9, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Keeps acting as a judge. So apparently when he first came in there, the righteousness in him burned and he saw this stuff going on and said, y'all not to be doing this. And he spoke up some things about it and they weren't taking it too well and they always saw him as an outsider. Apparently he must have calmed down, quieted down a little bit because they all felt comfortable coming outside his house and making this demand. And then he went back into his thing. Y'all not to do this. Oh, here he goes again. Let's just get rid of him for good. So he struck the, the angel struck the men who were at the doorway of the house, verse 11, with blindness, both small and great, so they became weary trying to find the door. Now, if you're standing outside the door, you're trying to get these strangers, and all of a sudden now you can't see. How many of you are still looking for the door? How many of you would have forgotten the door and taken care of the blindness problem? These guys are so bent on this that even though they became blind, they still want to find the door so they can get the guys. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them that has grown before the, before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Who did He send? The two angels. So when, when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up to Abraham, He has the two guys with Him that are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. All he needed was two angels bring down all these cities. Verse 13, For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. Verse 14, So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. Does that sound funny to you? Doesn't he say before that they had not known a man, they were virgins, but they had married? What's that tell you about the son-in-laws? Apparently, they were not that interested in women. That's all I can figure out. Now, it may be that they were son-in-laws, and maybe you were saying, you know, according to Jewish custom and such, they were betrothed for a while, but seen as married. But until the ceremony, they didn't actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, come together and such things. And maybe that was so, but you're in a foreign land. You're not in a Jewish place. So I don't know what the whole story is on that. I've heard a few different things, but whatever it was, it just doesn't seem right. Because this city is just not right. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They didn't really have a relationship with the Lord. Lot had not even brought his own son-in-laws into a relationship with the Lord to respect the Lord. So Lot, so uh, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, in other words, he's still hanging around. Why? He's still attached to the city. He still has stuff in the city. Or for some reason, he's still, well, I'm trying to, he's trying to pull some stuff, whatever it is, he's lingering. I mean, he, got, he said to his sons-in-law, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. So he believes the city's being destroyed. But then he decides, you know, to kind of hang out here a little bit. So he says, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. Got two angels, four hands. Four people grabbed them, one in each, one in each hand, and uh, just they just dragged him out of the city. They basically, look, we're leaving. We're going. Now, can you imagine this in the city? Obviously, other people are probably up. The sun is just coming up. And here come the two men whom the whole city was trying to get at. 
and they have Lot and his wife and the two daughters, and they're holding them by the hand, and they're running out of the city. They're running out of the gate. And everybody just, I guess, looks on. Who was around then? So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So the plain is going to be destroyed. But he says, Go to the mountains. Go to the mountain areas. You're going to be safe up there. And Lot said to the men, Please know, my lords. <laughs> I don't know that I'm arguing with the angels. I think I'm just going just gonna to go. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me, and I die. He's afraid of the mountains. Not real sure why. Maybe something in his past. Maybe when he was wandering around before he came to Sodom. Something about the mountains scared him. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one, or basically insignificant. Please let me escape there. It is, not a, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have, found, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar, which means insignificant. I don't know what the name of the city was before, but apparently it's got this name now, insignificant. But apparently Zoar was one of the cities targeted and because of what Lot does, Zoar gets spared from the group of cities that are going to be, be pulled down. But he says, I cannot do anything until you arrive. So until you're safe, I can't do a thing. I've got to wait for you. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. And the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah for the Lord, from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Not sure exactly when she turned and looked, turned, looked back, but at some point she turned and she looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. What is a pillar of salt? really doesn't make any difference. She's dead. That's all you really need to know. She, she died. And Abram went out early in the morning in the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which, was, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now, remember, uh, remember Lot said, I am afraid to go into the mountains. Let me go into Zoar. Verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. <laughs> and he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. So what you have here is that Lot headed over to Zoar, and somehow he became afraid to live there. I don't know what all happened. It may have been that the men associated Lot with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and they all rose up against him because he came out of Sodom. Where'd you come from? I just came from Sodom. The place was just destroyed? Yeah. How'd you know to get out of there? Uh, it may have been something along those lines or maybe Zoar just wasn't as nice of a city as he first thought. But whatever it was, he had this idea, if I go over to Zoar, I'll feel safe. And he didn't feel safe there. So where'd he end up going? 
in the mountains where the angels originally said, and if he had done it, Zoar would have been destroyed as well as the other cities. And all of them would have been taken care of. Now Zoar is still going on. And Lot goes up to the mountains. Now he has no wife and just has the two daughters. And if you want to read on to the rest of this depraved story by this depraved man, <laughs> you can go on. But you'll find out about the birth of his of uh, two sons, Moab and Ammon, and how despicable they were as, as, as far as a, a race was concerned because the daughter said, look, we're not going to be able to find anybody now. So um, here's dad. You put the rest of it together. And read on if you want to. But that's not the, their point here. So we see that Lot, first off, he was hospitable. He had that part of him. He was, he was hospitable, but the city was depraved. There was depravity in the city. And that depravity came over to the point where we saw that Lot was corrupted. We see Lot's corruption. The angels warn about the fate of the city, but Lot still lingers in the city. He still lingers in the city. He wants to hang out there. But his wife is the one who looked back. Why did she look back? And why did the angel say, do not look back? Lot had given up a lifestyle, walking with Abraham, in which he was blessed. He followed after God. They made the sacrifices that God had told them to make. And God was blessing them. And doing all kinds of good things for their family. And his things were increasing. But as he got over there and, and picked Sodom and Gomorrah, because, oh, it all looks so good. It all looks so nice. And he got to fellowshipping with the folks that were there. They began to bring him down. Bring him down. And by the time Lot leaves, Lot has nothing but himself, the clothes on his back, his wife and his two daughters. And eventually, he loses his wife. And that's all that he has. Nothing else. Everything they had was left back in Sodom and Gomorrah. They gave it up because they decided to go after the things of corruption instead of staying on with the things of God. Abraham walked around in the same city, in the same areas with corrupt people all around. Sodom and Gomorrah was not the only corrupt place. It was just the most depraved. And Lot still felt comfortable going there. And all the riches, everything that Lot had, went away. But Lot's wife heard the command of God he said, do not look back. Do not look back. Some places, you know, you see the, some of the Bible stories, you have Lot running out and he's got his hands over here to make sure he won't look back. He may not have even seen his wife turn into a pillar of salt. Maybe he did. I don't, I don't know. But apparently he wasn't looking back. Maybe she was ahead of him. And she looked back and he could see. We don't know what all, what went on there. But she looked back. The hope that they had was in ahead of them. He said, go to the mountains. They changed the place to Zoar. But the place was always ahead of them. You need to go there. Do not look back. And one of them decided to look back and turn into a pillar of salt. We've spent all these weeks going over the hope of God. The hope that God has for us. Hope in our finances. Hope in our health. Hope for the things that He wants to do for us. Hope for the promises of God. Hope for wisdom. Hope for all these great, wonderful things that the Word of God has promised us. But we have to also make sure that we do not look back. Don't look back. Sometimes 
we've gotten into the Word of God and we found out that Jesus wants us healed. That Jesus healed all. That Jesus took upon His Himself our sicknesses and our diseases. But then sometimes the thought comes up, oh, but wait a minute, I did that before. And we look back at what we had. The children of Israel were always looking back at Egypt. Every time that a problem came up in the wilderness, as God was leading them onto the promised land, what came out of their mouths? Oh, it was much better in Egypt. Oh, we had all the leeks and garlic we wanted to eat. Really? <laughs> Are you serious? It was better in Egypt? That's why you all were moaning and groaning about it? That's why you all wanted to get out? Because you were slaves? You were being beaten? They were killing your kids? Oh, but you had all the garlic and onions you wanted to eat. I don't know. When I think of a buffet, I don't think of garlic and onions. No, I, of course, I think of meat, but you all might think of other stuff. We're always tempted to look back at our past failures, and this is why it's not going to, to work for me here. How many of you all know if you're believing God for a job, we look back at past failures and jobs that we've lost. We look back at job interviews that didn't go so well. We look back at promises that people made about a job, and then it didn't come out the way that we wanted it to. It's easy for us to look back. We can be believing God for a raise where we're working, and then look back upon the people who didn't get raises, who got demotions, who got pay cuts. We can look back on that. We can look back at all the things that had happened to other people or all the things that happened to us. But God says don't. Look ahead to what God has promised you. But know this. Every single time the promise of God comes alive to you and you begin to look ahead to that, there will be something that will call your attention to look back. You believe in God for healing, there'll be a pain in your body. You believe in God for a job, there'll be news about the economy. You believe in God for help and for wisdom, and you'll remember times when it didn't work out so well and your decisions weren't so good. We can always look back, but you've got to get past your past. If you're going to have the hope that God has for you, stop looking at where you came from. Stop looking at the extra baggage you've picked up along the way and saying, well, I can't get there because I got this, like Moses did at the burning bush. Look at all this stuff I got with me now. Surely I can't be the deliverer anymore. Yes, you can. And he talked him into it. Yes, you can. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage we picked up along the way. We have a greater God than we have baggage. You go into the airlines and they want to weigh all the bags and they want to charge you more money now if you have a bag that's too heavy. But God doesn't care how heavy your bags are because His airlines can carry them on. God will get you there. But you've got to stop looking at your past. You've got to give up the past failures. You've got to give up the things that didn't go so well. You've got to stop going back to, but God, I did this. But God, that didn't work before. But God, no. Take what the Word of God says and believe it. If you hold on to the past, it will be an anchor for you. But you don't have to. You don't have to. God has better things in store. He has great promises in store for you. As we said, our past is filled with success and failure. When change comes, when change comes, and you know change comes all the time. Sometimes it's good change. Sometimes it's bad change. But change comes. How many have ever changed jobs before? That, did that scare you at first? Changing jobs. That can be a scary thing. We don't always like that. How about we move to a different house? 
I said change it. That's not so good. I mean, some of you folks don't like it when you change Bibles. Right? You got that one. I had this Bible for 20 years. It's falling apart. Things are missing. But you didn't want to go to the store and buy a new Bible. Because we don't like change. We sometimes get very resistant to change. You know, your bank raises fees. Oh, but it's been my bank. I always go to this bank. We're, we're not always the best people when it comes to change. But when change comes, doubt looks at the failures. Faith looks at the successes. Doubt looks at the failures. But faith looks at the successes. Which way will the Holy Spirit lead you to look? Which way will the Holy Spirit lead you to look? Towards the failures or towards the successes? If you are facing some kind of change in your life, change in belief, change in hope, change in whatever it might be, the doubt that seems to be resident in us wants to look at your failures or other people's failures or the general failures that are around us because that's the reason why my failure that is coming won't be so bad. And it's replacing the God kind of hope with the hope of failure. Even though none of you hope for it. But faith looks at success. It looks at the success that people had in the Word of God. It looks at the success Abraham had. It looks at the success Moses had. It looks at the success that Joshua had and the children of Israel when they finally went into the promised land. It looks at their success. And it encourages, yes, you can make it. You can go on. Joshua and Caleb came to the group when the 12 spies came back and 10 brought a bad report. They looked at the doubt. But these two looked at the success that had been going on. Look what God has brought us through before. Our God is well able to bring us through. Which way do you think God will lead you? Now you can identify those voices that are on the inside telling you, oh, that won't happen. Oh, that's not going to go that way. Oh, no, that won't go on. Yes, it will. Yes, it can. Faith looks at success. Doubt looks at failure. Which one do you want to believe? Would you all stand up with me? Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. You have called us into some great promises, some great things to look forward to in your word. We have hope because of your word. The word of God tells us in Hebrews, let us hold the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You have promised us many things in your word, and there are so many things that are around us that can cause us to want to look at this failures to doubt the promise. Father, you want us to walk in such a way that we believe the promise. We walk in faith. That we put faith and hope together and become successful in your eyes. Successful in where you want us to go. The enemy wants to so often point us to oh, but you did this. Oh, but you got this. Oh, but this is happening now. But our God can overcome any problem, anything that we brought on. David brought on many a problem inside of his own life, but you still took him forward. Father, we thank you that you will help us to go forward. Take us there. 
We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.